one of the hoteliers on stage basically said if people are not putting up prices right now and using inflation as the reason to do so and thinking that they can undermine other people in the industry by keeping their prices low, you're stuffing it for everyone. And welcome to episode 429 of Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday, the 27th of July, 2023. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, Brews News Editor, and I'm joined by my regular co-broadcasters, um, I, I think is the, the, the fair way to say it these days, Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson. Welcome to you both. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, guys. Well, I saw Ian actually uh, in real life uh, last night. Um, his brewery, Happy Valley, was hosting a, a an aged beer dinner that uh, Ian presented at. So it was it was nice uh, to, to see last night, Ian. Congratulations. Cheers. Thanks, Matt. No, it was good to good to catch up and have a have a beer in the flesh. IRL. IRL. Yep. In real IRL, life. IRL. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't want to say that because uh, it, it just sounds like we're just trying to be too old. Yeah. Too too old to <laughs> even get away with that. But uh, just Cr- if you are listening, uh, that may be a teaser for what our brewery of the week uh, may or may not be um, presented by our good friends uh, <laughs> at Bluestone News. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was going to tease that as well. Well, you know, who's that good friend? It's been a big day of a uh, big day of news, um, Sabrina, um, and 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 this one. Um, you know, just as I was reporting on two other uh, fairly big stories, this one landed. Uh, and thanks very much to Michael Donaldson from uh, Pursuit of Hoppiness in New Zealand, who writes uh, for us from time to time and keeping a finger on the news pulse. But Epic Brewing uh, is in liquidation. Uh, Epic was founded by Luke Nicholas in 2007 and is now hands in the hands of Waterstone Insolvency. Nicholas and his wife, uh, and I'm going to say Luke because Nicholas sounds like a first name. Uh, Luke and his wife, Wendy, the co-owner of Epic, said the decision was made suddenly after a deal to build their own brewery and tap room in Mount Wellington fell through when an investment partner pulled out without notice. Um, since its inception, Epic has brewed under a contract uh, at Steam Brewing in Otahuhu, Otawahu, Sabrina, I'll take your... I can't, no, I can't. Okay, apologies to all of our New Zealand listeners. Um, uh, I I genuinely don't know how to pronounce that. Um, But the business model was not viable in the long term. Um, And Luke said that essentially uh, contract brewing as a sole business model is no longer uh, viable, largely through costs uh, and, and a range of other, you know, just because the margins just aren't there. Um, if we had our own brewery, we wouldn't have to brew as much as we do, store as much as we do. There was so much upside. We were so excited, super excited and to receive that body blow in that meeting was just devastating. Literally, our finger was hovering over the order now button for a new brew kit. We thought we were going to get the green light and the investor said, we just can't see the sun rising on this and they wouldn't continue into the unknown. And again, look, as sad as Epic's thing is, you know, I... I there is a part of me without knowing all of the details, but to read that, you know, good on Luke for being so honest about it. You know, it's a really honest take, but, you know, I actually think, you know, the the, the potential investor, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in something and just have momentum carry you forward. Um, and, you know, it's devastating for, for, for Epic, but again, I, I, at the moment, I, that, that just sort of sounds like a, you know, fairly smart um, thing. Anyway, um, yeah, so very, very sad. I mean, Epic um, is a brewery that had started not long after I started writing about the industry. 
you know, when you go back to the very early days, his hop forward, beautifully balanced, you know, um, beers were just, you know, inspirational. And, you know, he was inspired, but I would put him in the, you know, same category as a stone brewery um, and even, you know, Brewdog in terms of the excitement that the brand generated for those hop forward beers. Um, you know, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, w- I was I was stunned to 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 see it, and then reading through the information on there, um, e- Epic was made Epic beers. Um, they, they were absolutely fantastic, and this just goes to show that you can be a great brewery making great beer, but sometimes things don't work out. Um, and you know, they do mention in it about the uh, um, relates back to something I said the other week about if you're a contract brewery, um, you know, or a brewery that brews, get someone else to brew your product for you. You've got the squeeze two ways. The contract partner that's making your beer for you has to put up their costs and um, trying to put up your cost to the consumer. Consumers just aren't able to take that at the moment so you're getting squeezed by by both directions you can't put your price up yet your um partner brewer that is making it for you is having to put is having to put up their prices and you're just squeezed in the middle when you have a bricks and mortar set up um there is some more flexibility yes there is also some uh more dangerous things around it but there's always ways that you can um have an attempt at least going by your labour, going by your stock holdings, as he talks out there, uh, there the way that that, um, that relates. You can brew in smaller size batches or whatever. There's things you can do with your flows to assist, although not necessarily um, take that all away, all those risks away, but to assist in in these situations. But um, for, for for Epic they or, and others in this, this this position, they just don't have that, that option. And um, it's a really, really difficult position to, to be in. Unless, of course, the contract brewing that you're doing is as a major retailer, but we might come to that elsewhere in our coverage. <laughs> so I obviously knew Luke um, when I was part of the brewing industry in New Zealand. And when I joined the industry in 2018, he was one of the sort of stalwarts, right? He was one of the folks, along with Epic, that had really, um, as this article from Michael points out, sort of created this uh, brought hop forward beers and New Zealand hops kind of to the fore as a, in its style. Um, and so the couple of things, you know, I think this is really sad for the New Zealand brewing industry. I should say that the Brewers Guild uh, was 15 years, a couple of years ago, sort of showing when craft kind of formalised an arrangement and Epic was almost as long as that. And I believe Luke was one of the original signators that brought the Brewers Guild into existence. So he sort of was really at the forefront of of what we know as craft beer in New Zealand. So with all of that, I thought the honesty in this article was fascinating, but it just goes to show you that the reliance on a third-party investor was sort of keeping their business together. And this quote here about when we increased the price of our six-pack of Epic Thunder APA by $2, sales dropped by 40%. We didn't want to compromise on the ingredients. We could have pulled out a third of the hops to keep the same price, but then it wouldn't have been the same beer. And we're going to come to pricing costs, uh, inputs, and Mm. regulatory costs increases uh, shortly. But I just thought that was real honesty around what it costs to make good good beer and hot forward beer. And then the last point I wanted to make 
was um, when Epic was at its peak, there were only 70 breweries in New Zealand. Now there are more than three times that with over 200. And I know that there's been a couple of articles shared recently um, around whether market saturation really has to be the killer. But I think as you put together competition for sales uh, and all of these other pressures, um, it, it really is starting to pinch and we're gonna we're gonna talk about four or five articles. So I just think, you know, it says that the um the branding and the beers will sell out. I wonder if he'll keep the beer recipes, you know, will the beers live on? I mean, it's much the same conversation that went on emotionally around the anchor brand just over the last couple of weeks. It is interesting, Sabrina, because again, like there's clearly, you know, there's multi layers to this. No one thing um, sees something like this happen. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I've said in the past uh, about the investment um, element with the investor coming in, that made it possible. But, you know, I think I said during the rush of um, administrations that it's the funding um that some breweries have that is keeping them going. Um, and yeah, whether it's raising $2 million on as an equity crowdfund that you never have to account for or having investors that are willing to put more money in, you know, to, to, to keep a business running at a loss in the hope that it will eventually make a, a, a bigger return. Um, you know, and you know, there, Mighty Craft is an example, although <laughs> an example that is rapidly coming unstuck um, for that, given the, the level of debt that they're carrying. Um, but then also the, the thing that you touched on was, you know, the, the, the crowding of the market. And Again, it, it comes back to if you have a venue that you are your local um, venue that people can go in and have a beer and maybe take some home, that's one thing. But the shelf space in retail is just so crowded, um, even in the independent retail. And, you know, I look at the retailers that I go into and even where they've got six and seven and eight um, facings of beer you know, um, doors opening, when you check the dates, it's clearly not going. And I've spoken recently to a lot of people in the industry and just about, you know, what are you drinking? What excites you? And I hear over and over and over again how tired people are of having to make a choice. You know, they stand in front of those those fridges and it's exhausting trying to decide what it is you want to drink. And you know, I, I do this myself as well, unless there is something that I need to try as a sample. I have a couple of favourites that I go back to and that's unsustainable, you know, um, as, as, as a crush. Um, and it, it'll be strong brands in, in, in that, strong and reliable brands are two of the things that uh, will really survive in that marketplace. And price. Yeah, price is one that's going to be difficult for everyone um, now. And if you're keeping your price the same, you're going to get, you're going to get squeezed. If you put your, you, uh, you squeeze from the bottom, if you put your price up, you're going to get squeezed from the, from the top, that's really difficult. But yeah, you're right, Matt. It is a little bit exhausting um, in some of the spaces, and then having to go through and check freshness. I think many of the bottle shops could, uh, would, and should remove fifty percent of the lines that they stock from there. That doesn't mean that these lines can't find a line and a fridge spot in some other shop. But um, I don't think we're doing the the industry any favors to have stale beer sitting on the shelves because there's only so much stock that any one shop can sell and when you've got the more lines you put that in the the um the you know, just just averages will tell you that you're going to be reducing the pull through of anyone on on average 
Um, but yeah, taking it back to, to Epic, I, I still I still am in, in 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 shock on this one. You know, Epic were a brewery that showed that you can be a contract brewery, uh, con- you know, a contract brand, and still make great you know fantastic beer and that you can have pasteurized beer that you know hoppy beer that tastes yes you know good point awesome um there was just you know fantastically hoppy beer and there's drinking it here in australia because i've never been to new zealand and it it still tasted wonderful and um that was contract brewed pasteurized beer yeah i actually thought about what would be the flow-on effect for steam today because i thought you know, their volumes of what they were or had in the past anyway been doing for Epic or quite large. So you have to wonder about, you know, there's there's a couple of large-ish uh, contract manufacturers in New Zealand, um, what that means for, for them as, as, you know, if this is one of a number because the contract model doesn't work anymore, well, what does that mean for those? So, um, it, it, you know, like we, we saw with Tribe. Anyway, I just um, was one of the thoughts that came up for me. So moving on, this week there's been a bit of interest at uh, Parliament House in Canberra um, with a uh, standing committee on economics, uh, the House of Representatives Standing uh, Committee on Economics has been looking into business dynamism in uh, industries like retail and also alcohol. Um, And as part of that, uh, Dr. Tim Cooper, um, on behalf of Coopers, gave evidence and also the Independent Brewers Association. Um, Coming out of that, uh, the IBA has called for indexation to the excise remission scheme. Um, As the 1st of August excise increase looms for brewers, it is going to see a 2.2% increase uh, for all excise across the board for craft brewers, which happens every six months. The IBA called for, uh, you know, having the brewing industry having failed to stop that indexation um, at all, and the government has indicated it's not planning to. The IBA has instead called for the um, remission, the excise remission scheme that was brought in in 2021 that saw the $100,000 uh, rebate increase to $350,000. They've asked for that to be uh, indexed in line with uh, the excise payments uh, because otherwise it's just being eroded away. Um, Richard Adamson, uh, the, f- the former chair of the IBA, was uh, speaking as a representative uh, at the hearing and he said that the biannual ratcheting up of excise tied to CPI threatens the existence of many independent brewers. The excise remission scheme that provides independent brewers some economic relief must be indexed to these excise increases that we are seeing to give us a fighting chance. Um, he also asked for a moratorium on repayment um, of the... Uh, he also uh, asked for it because a lot of brewers are still carrying debts from their COVID uh excise pause um and it's just going to hit um uh, anyway so yeah so again i, I don't know what, what can, can we just whinge more about uh it or do we leave that one as it is and just say it's great to see that the iba is providing a voice to brewers uh, on on issues like this in federal parliament yeah it is it is good to see and it's a sensible uh, thing to be pushing for that um, because yeah it just just is eroding it uh, for some breweries they've probably got quite a while before they hit that ceiling but for others well they're well through it or others are bouncing around um, right near it and that's probably where it make the biggest differences for those that are in in that boat there that are coming on to that that ceiling and yeah it, it's just a sensible thing that we we move that up 
I just thought I'd touch on pricing, Matt. Um, we, I was going to sort of talk about this uh, uh, under um, other news, but I attended on Monday the Pub Leaders Summit, which is sort of essentially the National Hoteliers com- uh, Conference, so people who run hotels uh, throughout the country. Um, and actually the question of pricing was really interesting there. There was a lot, one of the key themes that kind of came out of the conference was obviously hoteliers talking about increasing costs, increasing pricing. Certainly excise came up and um, folks from the various hotels associations that I spoke to had been keenly behind the push by breweries to prevent excise increases because obviously it was really fascinating. A lot of the discussion from these folks was on food, uh, food and beverage, how to get that mix. But when they talked about price, they talked about the, the the cost of a pint or a cost of a schooner. So hoteliers still measure like what are things cost and what are people willing to pay against what is the cost of what is the price that consumers are willing to pay against a schooner. And these pricing costs, be it two point two percent on excise, which hits everyone. Um, we talked last week around, uh, and, and we'll get to some more of it, we talked about the increasing um, CDS scheme costs that particularly hit retail. I just think that question around pricing is going to be so key. It links back to the point around Epic that said we've put our $2 up and one of the hoteliers on stage basically said if people are not putting up prices right now and using inflation as the reason to do so and thinking that they can undermine other people in the industry by keeping their prices low, you're stuffing it for everyone. Wow, okay, that's a pretty powerful... Uh... And so, and I can't tell you uh, the, the gentleman's name, I'm sure I could if I went back and looked at it, but they basically said, you're kidding yourselves if you're not dealing with it now. And we've seen this in beer where people, and he made the point that many establishments had not increased according to inflation for like six, seven, eight years, right? And beer has found itself in a similar place where they didn't do it. And then it's $2 on a six pack and 40% of your sales drop out. So I just think right now this question of pricing for industry and where to set your prices is going to be crucial. We might come back to that one because if we discuss, I wrote an insights piece just sort of on a couple of stories that came out that we'll tie back into that a little bit as well. So I'd appreciate your thoughts on on that. Um, now, in in the same inquiry that saw the IBA call for the ex- excise um, assistance, very interestingly, Dr. Tim Cooper um, joined the IBA to call out the major retailers on their uh, exercise of market power. Um, and the article uh, starts, the impact of concentration in the Australian retail market on brewers has been scrutinised at a federal parliamentary inquiry with both Coopers and the Independent Brewers Association claiming the power of the major retailers harms the beer market. Um, in his opening address uh, yesterday, uh, Brewers Associ- Independent Brewers Association Chair Richard Adamson described the Australian beer market as one of the most restrictive in the world with market power in the hands of small of a small number of large corporations. Two foreign-owned companies dominate beer supply and two supermarkets dominate the sale of beer. Um, he talked about Endeavour Group and, and the rising uh, competition that own label, um, their, their, their private label beers represent. And very interestingly, that was something that Dr. Tim Cooper had spoken about the day before. Um, I didn't see his actual comments, but I spoke to Dr. Cooper afterwards and he gave some very interesting um, insights, particularly around you know the amount of floor space and the prominence that the uh, private label beers are. And he 
posed a very interesting question in light of our coverage about the warehousing costs that some small brewers are being hit with. Um, he asked, would the private labels have the same cost requirements put on the products as the manufacturers of proprietary suppliers? Um, he said that uh, businesses like his are charged a range of warehousing and distribution fees rolled up into one and called trading terms. Um, he said, one ponders whether the suppliers to the nationals are effectively funding the warehousing and distribution system and all the back office arrangements, and then their supermarkets products are just being sold on a margin over the actual purchase costs. Um, so yeah, fairly powerful uh, statements um, from from both uh, bodies and uh, yeah, fairly brave given the power that the uh, retailers have. But Matt, that's the point that we were just making, which is, so if we come back to pricing, one of the concerns we've seen, and I want to come back to the floor space, but just on pricing, the issue is uh, supermarket gets beer made at X, calls it pretend brewery Y, puts it on the shelves and sets the price. And then consumers walk in and go, well, if they can sell that for $19, uh, why would I buy this one for $25? And so uh, what Dr. Cooper is enunciating there is the questions that say, are these entities using their market dominance to affect pricing for the whole of industry? And if that's the question that he's targeting, I mean, that really speaks to, do we have a market power issue? So, I mean, kudos to Matt Brews News and the reporting you've been doing over the last six months on this um, because we've called this out. If anybody's listening to this, you know that we've been raising this, raising the flag on this being one of the singularly largest issues uh, for the industry. So I think I think there's that piece. And then your piece around fatigue, Matt, and products being um craft beer that is in those retailers not being of premium quality it's for the for the issues that dr uh cooper and richard adamson have pointed out which is you walk in and all of the prominent display space is given to pinnacle product or pinnacle or uh, 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 home brand beer products which means that and the price is set and so actually for consumers when they're getting confused or don't know what to buy for the vast majority of consumers and again at the hotels association presentation um and matt you you've referenced this as well cg nielsen uh james per james made a had a discussion point and they were saying in hotels people are picking domestic beer because um of pricing concerns in the market so consumers are doing the same in retail it's in their faces it's cheaper um and so you're seeing no turnover for, for indie beer in those markets and they're losing shelf space i mean yeah it's not great no <laughs> Not at all. Um, you, you've just summed that up nicely, Sabrina. Um, that's exactly what's going on. It's exactly what's been said over the last few few months. Uh, it, it, it is a really concerning thing. And particularly, uh, it might be a little different a couple of years ago when times weren't as economically tight. But now that they are, that puts a big difference on, on, um, on the matter. And... Um, yeah, it is. It does feel as though it's an exercise of market power um, in in doing that. Yeah, and and, and I mean, look, I, I want to be clear. I've always been a proponent of the beer industry. Should, we should work together. The large brewers have um, contributed a lot in their own way to the industry. And I want to make the the reason that I make a distinction here is that um, 
we cannot say that within the New Zealand in the Australian landscape, and I would argue even in the New Zealand landscape, that Lion, CUB, and Asahi haven't given back to industry. Like they have um, grown some of our best talent who've gone on to start small breweries and work in small breweries. They've um, done a lot of work on sustainability. They've done a lot of work in the diversity space. They've done a lot of work in the areas that we as a collective brewing industry say we want to be a part of. The retailers do not give a shit. And I realise people are going to say, oh, they sponsor the AIBAs and win all of the uh, awards there. That's great. Oh, they ranged us when they didn't have to. They do deals with this X, Y, and Z. But in terms of growing our brewing talent and really investing in the industry, they are one step removed. They have a completely different shareholder base with completely different interests. So I, I just think it's a it's a different question. I know people are going to wrap this into tap contracts and Matt, you've... <laughs> I just haven't gotten... To, that That was also raised. I just haven't... Rather than write a 5,000-word article that no one you know, read, um, I, I broke it up into the excise uh, component, then looked at the, the, the retail and uh, hadn't gotten to the uh, tap contracts. But there's, a, there's, there's more coming out about tap contracts um, as a result of this inquiry as well. That's that's what you're saying there is spot on again, Sabrina, in that this is where we have to realise we're the beer industry. Um, we are the whole, the big guys, little guys, whatever. This is a greater issue that affects all of us here and where we need to be um, Beer Australia in order to work on this one together um, to promote and to grow our industry and make sure our industry is sustainable for all players in it. Um this is yes, there are some differences between us, but this is we in the vast majority of things we have more in common than we than we are different. So this is where we need to need to be working together to to push this one um, push this one forward because our interests are very different to the retailers' interests, and this is self interest and this is a natural part of business. But yep. we have to look after each other. We have to work together on this. And this is where I think we're going to get unnatural allies. Again, so talking to some of the um, Hotels Association representatives, they were sort of talking about how they could work to to get more indie beer and indie retailers. But I also said to them, we need a, a long-term 20-year category play for beer, the category of beer. And as I said, most of the hoteliers and publicans and we'll come to it, there was a huge discussion, discussion around cocktails, but they still measure their success their pricing, their con on pulling a beer, on a pint of beer, on a schooner. And so we are inextricably linked and I think we shouldn't count unlikely allies in needing to come to the table. But where we don't want to go back to is a situation where across primary distribution channels, uh, beer is controlled by in the handful of very small uh, players, whether they are on the Australian stock market or not, um, and that we lose all of the innovation um, and uh, inclusiveness when we think beer is for everyone. We don't want to go back to the past. We've got to go forward and we are going to have to play in the sandbox with lots of people to get a category push for beer and this is just making the case for that. This is one of those times when you have to sort of say, look, you know, when people ask what is the point of having an industry association, what have they done for me lately, it's turning up. It, it, Parliament isn't going to go to 650 breweries individually and ask for your opinions. You can make a submission. I, I noticed that no brewers made a submission. 
the IBA was there voicing the concerns and very eloquently, um, and, and the very pressing concerns uh, of, of the industry. And you know, that's, and again, they need I resources think, to do that. I think it shouldn't go unnoted. A huge shout out to Richard Adamson, former chair of the IBA, so not current chair of the IBA. I don't even believe currently on the board. He has given inordinate time to the industry association that benefits 667 physical breweries in the country and various brands. And so I just don't think that that can go unnoticed to say that um, everybody can step up, even though it's really, really, really tricky. There isn't some magical other person that is going to solve this for us. This is a collective effort. We all need to play a role in this. And um, shout out to Richard who took the time to go um, out of his own business and stand up for the for small and medium breweries, independent breweries across country. Hmm. Here, here. For Zan's calls for submission on carbs claims. I'll get you to explain this, Sabrina, because you're when when <laughs> when I found <laughs> when I went to write this, I actually found an article that quoted you uh, yeah. when you were at the Brewers Guild of New Zealand. <laughs> so <laughs> this has been going for a while. This has been going up for a while. So Fazans is calling for submissions on carb claims. Food Standards Australia New Zealand is calling for comment on a proposal to clarify the requirement for making nutrition content claims about carbon sugar on alcoholic beverages. Fazan said it's proposing to amend the standard to clarify the permitted extent of carbohydrate and sugar claims on food containing more than 1.15% alcohol, uh, so on and so forth. Um, submissions close on the 4th of September at 6pm. Um, and they're separately considering a proposal to require energy content information on the label of alcoholic beverages. In this proposed document, the Food Standards Regulator said consumers have a poor understanding of the energy content of alcoholic beverages and do not understand alcohol as the main source of energy in most alcoholic beverages. Uh, also, um, submissions can be made there. Um Dylan Firth, Executive Director of the Brewers Association. While we've only just received the call for submissions and need to spend some time looking over the proposals and details, we see that the continued ability and make claims has been proposed, something that in the broad terms we support. So, look, uh, my summary of this is a little bit complex. This, um, as listeners know, there were five sets of labelling consultations, four, four sets of labelling consultations underway with Fazans. The first cab off the rank was pregnancy labelling. Um, that didn't go so great um, in terms of the process and the implementation um, as we saw what corrugated. Fazans really committed to doing to ta- adopting in a different process um, with respect to uh, carbon sugar claims and then also energy labelling, which are separate but related. Um, and so this is the point at which um, all of the associations and, quite frankly, independent brewer, individual breweries will be able to make submissions. It's rather a complex area in the sense that what you think you might want may open the um, floodgates for other things. And so um, it actually needs some complex thinking around it. And by, by way of example, the question is, uh, does there need to be a nutrition information panel on all on on the label of all individual beers? If there is, um, what level of testing is required to be able to complete those effectively? 
And we then talked about off-labeling solutions. So let's just have a QR code link, which all sounds great. But once you create the gateway to have a QR code link, where does that link lead to? Who manages it? Um, and can there then be other regulatory requirements added? Because, well, you can just update a website. So um, I implore everyone, if um, particularly those who are managing businesses, to read the documents, really read the documents because probably the um, background research will make your head explode in terms of the lack yes. of quality research so so that you can understand what we're up against. So I'd say read that. And then the second thing I would say is maybe think about some of the options that are proposed and when information comes out from the IBA uh, or, or the Brewers Association, whoever you belong to, participate in responding to that because that information is crucial. And then thirdly, when you are asked by your association to take a step, i.e. send this letter to your local MP and explain the impact and the costing, do that as well. So the three steps are inform yourself, participate and provide information where you can because as we've just talked about from lobbying to government, um, Nobody can solve this for any individual. We have got to work together to get this done. So, but again, and, and just just to, like, with, with, like we don't receive any money from the IBA, but no, these no. issues, you know, so so you know, it's 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 a free ad. Um, but or the Brewers Association, or, or the or the Brewers Association, depending on like if you're in New Zealand. But it is one of those. And you know, instead, I'm going to throw in a free ad for us. You know, I often hear people sort of say, "I join the IBA, paying whatever." amount it is a year and it's not a lot um in in the scheme of things and they didn't pick up this one little thing um to me there are these big industry issues that can really have a massive impact um and the iba has you know just sit down and look at how much there is to read just on this submission um and you know we need people who can do this on behalf of the industry but even so even though you know that somebody's going to do that Businesses have a stake in the outcome as well, and they still need to inform themselves and advocate on a local level with their local member. Um, you can't just sort of say, I've paid my $1,000 a year or whatever it is, and think that someone else is going to do it all for you. You still need to bang your own drum as well, because I can tell you what, the anti-alcohol lobby or the health lobby um, are out there, and every single one of them is submitting, and it looks like there is an avalanche of support for these proposals. Um, and with 650-odd breweries, there can be an avalanche you know, of dissent or discussion, and we need to be part of that. Yeah, and I think it's the point around Epic that we made off the top, right? It's no single thing that may cause a business to fall over. There's no single thing that will cause our industry to uh, to really, uh, I don't know, um, continue sustainably in the future, but it's a death by a thousand cuts. It's 7% excise increases. It's 15 cents per label. It's additional administration costs. It's lack of talent. It's lack of shelf space. It's this, 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 and this. And you add all of those together and all of a sudden it's just no longer feasible for small and medium businesses to exist in our environment. And so if we want to stop the flow of these death by a thousand cuts, this is our opportunity to do it. And the reason that Matt, you report on it and that I rant about it and that Ian sits there patiently, thoughtfully <laughs> waiting to get his, his <laughs> a word in. Poor Ian. It's because we're so passionate about the industry existing long into the future. Long into the future, right? Anyway, sorry, Ian. <laughs> I got ranty again. It's great. I love listening to it. Um, 
No, but one, once again, this is right, and this is why we do all have to make sure we're we're participating in these things, um, particularly as things like um, uh, uh, with the the labelling. Um, there is things that we as a responsible industry should be looking at and considering there to make sure that we are a responsible um, member of our society. Um, and But those laws with that could go in a multitude of ways and some of them are ways it could be. Um, and even in down there, there's, you know, seven doors here and followed by seven doors there. And some of those could be ways that are like, yep, this is what we should be doing as responsible members of the, the community. Um, and others are ways that would be, um, completely onerous and um, make life extremely difficult for small to medium businesses, um, and in fact have a bigger input, bigger impact. Sorry, on the creativity of our industry than anything that you can whinge about ABAC for. Um, there, there really could be could could mean a death to um, or a virtual death to uh, small batch releases by small. Um, by small businesses um, so we have to make sure we're participating and, and letting those that get to make the decisions um, know what the actual real impact is on 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 the businesses in their constituency and you've got to do that by participating one of the things that raises is that consumers aren't aware um, that they're looking at energy and carbohydrates labeling separately but it, it, it is one of the things that again I, I know I live in my little ivory tower of you know the the perfect world but you know for years i've railed about the the, the low carb um you know advertising you know because there were consumer perceptions about carbohydrates but in in doing so it's really distorted the role that alcohol has and now there's a very powerful argument about you know alcohol lobbying and you know marketing is just you know it, it, it's just confused the marketplace and it makes it very easy um, in that confusion for the health lobby to come in and say, you know, people don't understand the impact that alcohol has in uh, in alcoholic drinks. And so we're now going to carpet bomb with regulations to, to address that when it was something that the industry could probably have done, you know, it, itself. But anyway. I also think the reality is on this one in particular, almost every other food and beverage product that is manufactured has to provide a, nutri a nutritional information panel. So we might say we don't think this should occur and here are the issues, but small producers in almost every other industry food production type have had to deal with this already. So um, we are actually coming at it from, to be fair, a privileged position. Um, and so any ground that we seed on that privileged position, we should be doing uh, uh, thoughtfully. So, you know. We should know that it, the likely outcome is that there will be much more labelling requirements. Exactly. Speaking of labelling. <laughs> yeah, but we're not actually speaking about our sponsors labelling this time. Um, Aurora announces director packaging digital printing. Uh, beveraging packaging supplier Aurora has announced it will soon be able to offer direct to shape digital printing. The company uh, yesterday, when this was published, I uh, can't even remember when that was, since the last podcast, uh, Helio by Aurora, which it said would provide customised beverage can design and decoration. With faster speed to market for new products and promotions, the digital decoration solution will complement and capitalise on the new multi-size can line investment in Dandenong, signifying a step change in the company's leadership in can decoration the company said itself in a statement so um yeah you, you can go read the article uh it, it it does show a shift towards um you know they, they made a big thing about being first but i'm pretty sure east coast canning 
um, was first to market in Australia with Direct2Can digital printing thanks to a government grant. Um, and there was a story on that that you can find linked um, in July 2021, but certainly uh, shows some of the uh, packaging. But, you know, they, they haven't delivered it yet and it's not coming till August. But if you want to get some packaging done or some labeling done or you want something that comes direct to you from good people that will help you and problem solve for you you know the name that comes to my mind is rattling's label stickers and packaging how about you guys never heard of them matt never heard of them you should really head along to 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 brewcon then because the team at Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging are really looking forward to catching up with everyone at this year's BrewCon on the Gold Coast after such a long absence. And as you know, they can supply, well, as Matt knows, but and you now know too, Sabrina, they can supply can or bottle labels, shrink sleeves for cans, supplied ready for you to fill, cartons either printed or plain, tap decals, coasters and four-pack barcode, much, much more. They're your one-stop shop, Sabrina, for all your brewing, labelling and packaging needs. So give Paul and Brad and the team a call on one three hundred. 852-235 to discuss your options or email at sales at rallingsprint.com.au. Beautiful. And uh, that that's a lovely segue, actually, into our beer as a conversation because this week about, we spoke to... <laughs> I was just about minds. to do the same segue. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leanne White, who was our guest from Insightfully, who actually I, I've, I've come to know because she is a listener. Hello, Leanne, uh, Lenny. Um, she's a listener to the podcast, but also she came to listen to the podcast because she came to be involved in the brewing industry through an investment that she and her husband made in Maddock Brewing. But her background is as a journalist and now uh, data insights, you know, consumer polling or uh, you know, uh, public polling um, and insights. And uh, so I thought, Given all of our recent conversations around data, um, I'm not going to tick off anyone's bingo card, um, but it might be a good chance. But it just coincided with the poll that they brought out about podcasting. And it was very nice that she congratulated us on our um, seamless um, native advertising. Yeah, clearly, it's advertising, um, but you know, it, saying how effective it is, and uh, we could give you a little bit of that bruise news magic as well, listeners, if you're in the brewing industry. Um, but I thought it was a really good. What, did you guys get a chance to listen to the uh, beers conversation yet this week? I'm I'm halfway through it, and uh, 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 very interested to find out that she's a um, uh, a fellow to Umbright like like myself. Um, you um, might have but- read some of her work for the uh, Toowoomba Chronicle. Uh, I absolutely would have, and um, just trying to think whether she would have worked with my sister actually at the Toowoomba Chronicle ah. period. So, but um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm part way through and looking forward to what I can uh, when I'm next driving to, to listen to the rest of it. Matt, I enjoyed it because I think it is um, the thing that we've been saying, you've been saying, which is what are the ways that you interrogate the information you see to help you make decisions for your business? So, listen to that. And then the second thing she said is, um, podcast advertising that's memorable uh, is is excellent. And so um, I think we can tick that one off as well. So um, all in all, a, a good chat. And, um, yeah, go listen. Uh, some more, Matt, where would you like to go next in terms of we've sort of got four, we've got insights, craft challenges, a need for renewal, and then a couple of related but unrelated things that came out of the pub leaders. Yeah, um, well, we might race through them. Um, Anchor Brewing now, in it's, it's, it's been going for, what, three weeks? Um, 
I posted in the Radio Brews News Facebook group. If you want to join, um, please let us know that you're a listener by, you know, at least saying I'm listening to the podcast. If you can't remember that Soapbox is the uh, password, we don't uh, we don't want it just to be a free-for-all just like every other um, Facebook uh, beer group. Um, we, we do want it to be of listeners to, to the podcast. But anyway, um, posted in the um, Facebook, that doesn't apply to anyone who's actually hearing this, uh, me say this now. Um, there was a very interesting article from Kate Bernot, who's one of the um, writers that I really follow, um, just really you know, asking why do we get so upset when a brewery like this um, that we haven't purchased from for so long. Um, and uh, I, I, th- I thought it was a really balanced, nuanced uh, article. So you can find a link to that in the Radio Brews News Facebook group. But then also um, the Fingers Substack, uh, a beer writer by the name of Dave Infonte, who broke the story um, and has been leading the industry coverage on it. I think it's about $120 a year to subscribe and certainly well worth um, following for David's, uh, yeah, if uh, otherwise, you know, we'll discuss them here. Um, but yeah, Anchor, very, very sad, but I think it shows that, you know, it's not just marketing, it's not just the quality of the beer, it's the business decisions you make, um, it's consumer tastes move on. Um, you know, I, I, I actually, I will also flag the um, Steelist Beer podcast this week, John Hole, um, who's a good friend of the podcast um and he, he they just discussed it and so there's so much nuance um but you know at the end of the day if businesses aren't making a product that people want to buy um and consumers don't buy it um we're going to lose brands like this no matter how storied yeah it does seem like there's some interesting um Interesting things in the lead up to it, which we'll find out more over time. And it looks like there could be some interesting things potentially for the future. Um, for it, I've heard of four different um, potential plans that may may save the the brewery and, and the the brand. So we'll have to see what happens from there over the next, or what we hear over the next probably the next month or two um, on that. Uh, I think one of the interesting perspectives um, on it, which you just talked about, but the uh, a more um, succinct way of putting it was actually a post by don't drink beers on instagram that had you know about the same people that were um saying that they were they were never going to buy um anchor brewing beer again after the sapporo takeover were the first ones to to cry (laughs) about it um when it when 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 sapporo closed it down actually one of the interesting chats along the same line on um I think it was the Steelers Beer podcast talking about the trend that a lot of brewers in the US are seeing that, you know, when brewers knock off, they'll drink, um, what is it, banquet? Um, banquet ale, or, you know, they're posting themselves ironically drinking, you know, uh, the, the most mainstream of mainstream lagers as if to say, look, you know, I'm not all, all, all that stuffy. And you're going, well, you know, what more powerful message can you send to people that your product doesn't matter? If even the brewers are drinking, um, you know, the, the, the mainstream beers instead of, you know, making a statement about drinking Anchor Steam or Sierra Nevada or some of the OG um, beers, um, you don't have to be drinking the latest, you know, whatever um, specialty beer. But if you want to be ironic, <laughs> at least support the products that, that you want to support and you don't want to go away. This is absolutely a thing that brewers do. Drink mainstream domestic in New Zealand. There was one in particular which I won't name, which almost every brewer had in their fridge for went for knockoffs. Mm. Like just classic. Again, 
if you want a good lager to to to, to drink, um, there are an endless supply of great craft lagers that you can drink that provide exactly the same taste fulfillment, but you know you're still sending a consistent message about what you value. Can I say on Anchor that it has been striking me how similar the conversation is when uh, New Belgium restylized and re-recipied uh, Fat Tire? Remember, it was maybe a year ago, 18 yep, months ago, yep, yep, and it came out that. in new packaging. They'd slightly tweaked the recipe and people were up in arms about it. But the same people that were up in arms about it were up in arms because they were never going to drink New Belgium again since Lion had uh, purchased them. And then also the point that Lion was making was, well, nobody's buying this product. Mm. So nobody is buying our product, so we're trying something new to try and get people to buy it rather than canning it all together as this flagship meaningful beer. And uh, and they were sort of saying, we're trialling this. So in the anchor scenario, you know, that's not how it rolled out. But these businesses aren't doing these things um, sort of on a whim, I guess, is the way to post it. But I just thought the conversation is interesting. Obviously, New Belgium continues to exist uh, and Anchor doesn't in its current form. But anyway, I was just thinking about the, the lines there. And another thing I, th- I think on that, and this 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 is something that I, uh, one of the things that I've been sort of reading about um, and we, you know, we get not really sure yet whether the, I could not be really sure whether this is fact or fiction, but about the approach from the larger company in trying to run a smaller company and trying to bring some of their bigger principles into it and not really realising that they weren't going to work in that space, either as a general business principle or as a production and manufacturing principle, that while they may work in the larger space, the smaller end of town, the way things work in both production and in business is different. So the big principles, some of them are wonderful and can, we can apply them down all across the way, but one size doesn't fit all in, in an approach to business. And that's where Dave Infonte's coverage has been excellent because he's looked at that um, and he's you know obviously well connected to people in the, in the brewery. But it sounds like Sapporo genuinely did buy it to brew Sapporo Lager there and it's an open fermenter ale <laughs> brewery brewing very rustic ales. It just wasn't set up to brew at scale Sapporo Lager. Um, and then they bought Stone um, and switched their production there. So it, 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 it sounds like for, for, you know, there's a layer of reasons. There's no one thing that sinks a brewery like this, but uh, it certainly sounds like um, you know Sapporo's mismanagement um, and misunderstanding of, of the purchase um, hasn't helped either. Um, now, just moving on, uh, again, I'm very conscious of time, but it has been a big news week. Sabrina, you went to the Pub Leaders Conference. That, uh, which publication puts that on? Hoteliers. Uh, uh, I, I think Intermedia. Um, Intermedia, and Brewer, that's right. Another, yep. number of yep. others. So, yeah. So, uh, look, you, <laughs> we've spoken for hours about this, so I'm going to see how quickly you can condense some of the really powerful insights that you had uh, um, as takeaways. Yeah, look, it's tough to condense it because it actually has its its fingers in, in all of the topics we've talked about. But I sort of walked away, I think, with sort of four key takeaways from this. And again, um, so uh, uh, Better Beer, Good Drinks and Australian um, Beer Co. were there um, in various ranges of sponsors and exhibitors. Um, it's full of publicans and I should say publicans from across the country. It was evident that it's a big money game. 
Um, some of the presentations were really excellent. I would say one of my big takeaways was um, that draft cocktails are coming for beer. And what I mean by that is there are a number of presentations, one of which was um, by, as I mentioned, uh, CGA Nielsen uh, talking about consumer preferences, particularly for people, um, e younger drinkers, and it was looking at different ways to make efficient cocktails. So people weren't necessarily there for the cocktail experience of watching the bartender make it in a small bar. They're there to drink a cocktail. Uh, the, the comment was made that cocktails aren't that much more expensive than a craft pint. So when people are making the value decisions around whether they're drinking um, cocktails um, in a world in which they're drinking less, uh, they're saying, well, I can afford that extra three, four, five dollars on that drink because I'm only going to have two and I'd rather have these two. Um, but one publican who owns a number of very large establishments in Queensland literally said out loud, I'm sorry to say to the brewers in the room, but I will be replacing some of my taps with draft cocktails. Now, Matt and I haven't done the work on on this yet to sort of say, well, how feasible is that? Certainly we know breweries have been looking at it, but I sat there and I thought if we're talking about taking uh, indie taps or the couple of taps that are left over and converting them for spirits, um, th that is a huge challenge to the industry. Um, but it really points out um, that younger drinkers are choosing cocktails over beer and overall craft beer is in decline because as people become more price sensitive, they're reverting back to domestic, quote unquote, And if people beer. don't even want the theatre of seeing it made in front of them, um, they just basically want the alcohol hit and they're willing, the price differential between craft beer and a, co and a tap cocktail is no barrier to them jumping. I mean, that's that's scary. Yeah, I'm going to take a different position on this, um, but maybe I'm not quite as concerned about it. Um, so I've spent a lot of time working in pubs and in and around them. And, yeah, we could see a little bit of a blip here, but we had the same thing with spirits coming to us with RTD on tap, you know, 20 years ago. And it just never made the impact, particularly on the craft space, that people thought it might. Because you know what? People generally preferred to have someone make them their rum and coke or their bourbon and cola or their um, Canadian club then had and you could have it on tap there and people you know and it worked in venues that had it and people still wanted you to um still wanted you to make a, a fresh one there because they just never come out the same um and people do like even that little bit of theater the one place where they really do work is for speed in really really big venues and if that it makes up those sorts of drinks make up a large portion of your sales anyway it probably makes sense to put it on there. And people are a little bit less concerned, like in stadiums, etc., or in venues where they are doing massive amounts um, of of um, of trade in, the, in those drinks. That's when it starts to make a little bit of sense there. Not in probably the venues that majority of listeners to this attend or uh, have their products sold in. 
Um, the cocktails are also a little, a little bit different too. They are pretty atrocious, the ones that are on tap. So it's not going to be in places where, yeah, I, 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 ju I just, I don't think it, it is going to have make a, a little bit of a blip and you will find that in some venues where they're going to put it on, yeah, it, it's unfortunately it's going to be our taps, the, the indie taps that get targeted for it because there's no contract probably on them, but I, longer term, I don't see, let's, let's see me be proved wrong, but I bloody hope I'm not going to be. Yeah, and Ian, again, they didn't put a time horizon on it. They were saying this is the data and this is what hoteliers are looking at for smaller venues. Can I just return to my favourite theme just to close that discussion? I, I, I can see Ian's point, but it makes it more critical. You know, Again, something that we keep coming back to, beer needs to be more appealing if it's going to see off, you know, sure people Absolutely. might get bored of having their, um, you know, uh, um, espresso martinis coming out of a tap or, or whatever and wine we thought may not succeed on tap but has but people are drinking differently and beer has a has long had this belief that the taps are theirs and I, I, th I think the insight that Sabrina came away with is that the, 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 the non-beer taps are being you know the, the, the non-contracted taps are going to be given over to spirits um, in, in some form and could be, right? So to Ian's point, if everybody adopts it, we don't know, but certainly some of them are. And I, I would make the point there, Ian, that what is uh, different now is that the reason people want cocktails in part was that they're Instagrammable, not because they want to watch the person make them. So I think, you, you know, a lot of the discussion there was about serving up specifically to this larger age demographic and what is it that they're looking for in a venue experience, which leads me to the sort of the second insight that I took away from it, which is, uh, and again, this was made in, in various different ways in various presentations, but that the Australian market is unique in that people, even in hotels slash pubs, are often looking for food-led and dining experiences, not necessarily just to drink. Um, and the reason that I had this as a takeaway was there's quite a lot of discussion around how to ensure that you had people in your pubs uh, midweek, uh, which is one of the discussions that we've seen in the Radio Brews News Group recently about how do um, breweries get them in. But they were basically saying people are coming in for sort of experiences, birthdays, other activities that are food-led and that actually hotels have got to up their game and make sure they're providing really strong food offerings, unique food offerings, um, and then that essentially the drinks will follow. And so where we're breweries and we have for a lot of uh, survived on um, food trucks in an industrial area and so on and so forth, as wallets tighten um, and people think, well, we'll go out for dinner once a week on a Wednesday, um, where are they going to choose? They're not the local brewery isn't going to service their needs. So I just think, again, um, it, we're not saying it's going to happen everywhere, but it was something that stood out as a theme. And I thought, what can the what can brew pubs and breweries take away from this that says this is where consumers are thinking about when um, as we go through this next phase of, of um, the economic landscape? Yeah, that's 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 a good one. And that's that's a, a, a real one. And that's where um, a lot of small breweries can probably have a difference over their local pub, uh, particularly if it's a pub that's run by the the two big retailers, uh, because they have a very very generic um, food offering that's standardised across all of their venues. So you can do something unique there. 
So I think there was an opportunity in that and also sort of a lesson for you to say, how do we get people in Wednesday night? Here's some things we need to focus on. Um, the third big takeaway for me, and I think a lot of our small breweries um, and medium-sized breweries do this in different ways, but there was an absolute laser-like focus from the large hotel groups on loyalty programs, loyalty apps, what you can get, how to personalise your experience through the loyalty app so that, you know, um, you know, the example was that you get seated at the table that you always want. The bartender automatically knows what drinks you want to order. Um, the, the level of data collection that's going on within these apps and the incentivization that's occurring um, is really something to think about. And I know a lot of our breweries aren't doing it in a in a technology way. We had that great insert um, in the Radio Brews News recently with Bucketies that talked about moving from a, um, a beer club to sort of a, a mug club beer farm have got that really focusing on creating loyalty amongst their small consumer base and I think that is going to be even more important and breweries really really need to think about that because the reason the loyalty programs are so important to the large hotel groups uh, and to hoteliers is that they're fighting to create price and value specifically value um, offerings that keep you coming in and at a time when, you know, wallets tighten, we want to be thinking about are our breweries creating value? And one of the ways you can do that is through personalised experiences and um, loyalty incentivization. So small breweries do it really well. It's why they've got followings, but it's just another sort of, I don't know, just really jumped out of something people need to think about. Um, and then the last one, which I think supports all of the above, is that um, hotel groups are really trying to invest in staff. There are huge programs within all of these hotels associations looking at how do they invest in hospitality staff because the point was made that right now they've got a lot more talent coming through the door. People that might have left hospitality five years ago are coming back and saying, I'd like a second job, thanks. I can't pay my mortgage, I can work weekends. So they're getting experienced staff coming back to hospitality and the point that they're making is how do we ensure we don't have an exodus again in the future? So how do we attract and create career pathing in hospitality uh, so that we're not seen as something that's just um, transient? So I think, um, you know, th there's something for the brewing industry to learn from that as well. That's it. All in all, I would say um, this feels a little bit like... Um, there's so much to do <laughs> to keep our heads above again. Water. Look, we are very focused on challenges, uh, but when you see things like Anchor Steam and uh, Epic, you know uh, there are enough um, outlets. You know, talking about all of the good stuff. This is an industry podcast and trying to generate thought around things that we should be aware of to save um, going out of business. Um, and sometimes that involves highlighting the challenges. But a bright spot of the week um, brought to you by our good friends at uh, Bluestone Yeast um, is the Brewery of the Week. And we've had a correspondent send in. And uh, listeners, if you've had a great brewery experience you would like to see celebrated in Brewery of the Week, you can give us a call or you can even call us on VoicePipe. And I'd, Sabrina, we may need to make sure that that's a little bit easier to find, I think. Um, sure. The link to voice uh, uh, um, VoicePipe, so we can even just get that in the show notes so people can click straight through. Um, but Russell Steele, who is the owner of Easy Times Brewery in Brisbane, was obviously in South Australia. 
and he sent us an email about Beer Garden Brewing in Port Lincoln. Uh, he said, great little informal beer trail here with the more established Beer Garden Brewing being joined this year by Jump Ship Brewing and West Coast Distilling, all within a one kilometre walk. Uh, Dan and the team were exceptional hosts, and I think this is Beer Garden Brewing, and their beers across a wide range of styles were worthy of the IBA and other awards hanging on the wall. Gee, this is, uh, he, he's really uh, written this as a proper review. Great food, family and pet friendly, and we have led the way on the Air Peninsula. So, so well, they have uh, been joined by two other great little venues. And most importantly, brackets for Ian, it's very clean. So, uh, yes, thank you, Russell, for sending congratulations to Beer Garden Brewing. And thank you to our good friends at Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you are looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast have you covered. You can reach out to them at at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call our good friend Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast and your favourite breweries. Right, big week. Um, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson and myself, Matt Kirkegaard. The show is produced and edited by Joanne Helder and we thank Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. Um, given that I've plugged everyone who's been supporting the industry, I'm also going to throw on one for us. If you value our coverage, if you see benefit of us spending a lot of time in sitting, watching parliamentary uh, committees uh, hear evidence and writing robustly uh, about the industry, uh, maybe you can help us out as well. Um, you can make sure that we can keep doing that. Remember, the more support we get from breweries, the more support we get from businesses, the less advertising we have to do and the less uh, you know, advertising you have to read. So if you support us, we'll certainly be here to, uh, for much longer to support the industry. And with that, we will be back uh, next Tuesday with another uh, Beer as a Conversation. And uh, thank you all for listening. <laughs>